0: The Bible that's in your pew along about 608 if you want to follow along in the Bible uh, that is there in your pew and we'll have slides for uh, a lot of our text tonight. Uh, The 30-something class was mentioned a while ago and and it is exciting to see uh, good that takes place on a regular basis here and we are excited about the good that the 30-something class is doing tonight and uh, many of you will probably be pretty excited about it too when worship is over with. You're going to see a mode of transportation that the 30-something class thought would be pretty exciting for the widows and widows to be able to ride around and see the Christmas lights tonight. And and they were excited about it enough. They said, hey, as a class, we'll just all as individuals chip in and and we'll make that happen. And, And so be sure and look out in the parking lot tonight about the time worship is over and you're going to see a pretty slick ride. Uh, it, it's going to be pretty nice, and, uh, and they definitely deserve it. Some of the best people on this earth are a part of that group, and we're thankful for them, and, and uh, we love you dearly, and we're thankful for the 30-something class observing uh, that opportunity to give honor to where honor is due and enjoy that time together. Let's be sure and be mindful uh, this season uh, to be careful as we travel, Let's be mindful of those that we can encourage, even in our very own families that maybe are downtrodden. Uh, Maybe they could use somebody to give them a little extra attention, uh, to to, uh, build them up, and to care for them. And tonight, that somewhat goes along with the theme in Isaiah 5 where the Lord paints this picture. And He paints the picture of what ought to be among the holy individuals and what was lacking. In just a moment, we'll get there. Do keep in mind, tonight is the time that we need you to turn in for the uh, Operation Christmas Turkey, and I know from the pile of envelopes, it looks like most of you have done that, but just a reminder, if you haven't, we need that tonight. As we think about Isaiah, we studied this morning, a great man of God, Messianic prophet, spoke more often in the New Testament being quoted than any other writer of the Old Testament. A powerful man that was given a a very difficult challenge. He was to go to a people who were weary of God. He was going to a people who had grown pretty excited about selfish living. And his job was to bring the truth to them. Now you can imagine what we're going to study tonight. There would have been many in that culture that would have not given him the time of day. There would have been others that would have listened to what he said and would have grown very angry at him for calling them out. But the fact is, if we truly are holy people, if we stand on the side of God, the truth is the truth and it cannot be sold. And that's what we have to appreciate about Isaiah. He stood with God in difficult times. And we're going to see in just a few minutes how difficult those times were. You remember, and this is just a real quick review of where we were this morning. He, he gives us this picture of a vineyard that's owned by a husbandman. And that husbandman was God. And that vineyard was, according to verse 7, the children of Israel. And then we see that that vineyard was producing grapes, but there was problems with the grapes that were being produced there. They should have been good, fruitful blessings, but instead they were wild grapes that was not a blessing to them. It wasn't a blessing to God and it wasn't blessing their culture, their society, or their spiritual life. And so the Lord, he asked them to cast judgment. And in that judgment, he says, it's me and it's you. Now we've got wild grapes that's being produced. Whose fault is it? Is it my fault or is it your fault? Because something needs to change. And then he reminds them that if this continues to happen, the curse that had been spoken hundreds of years previously would definitely come true. He's going to stop guarding that vineyard. He's going to allow the walls to be torn down. He's going to allow the enemies to trample on them and to destroy them. And that brings us to verse 7. I'd like for you to notice verse 7 again. This is where we ended this morning and obviously where we'll pick up tonight. Notice this, for the vineyard, and this is Isaiah the 5th chapter, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So that's, that's how we know for sure that's what the vineyard is. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. Now keep in mind, at the very time this is being written, the northern kingdom, which was Israel, had gone so far away from God, God had completely stopped protecting them and the Syrians were taking them over. And so now the only one that still had hope was that of Judah. And so Judah was still that last gleaming hope of a pleasant plant. Notice that? There's a vineyard, it's Israel, but then there is, and that's speaking, it sounds like a contradiction of terms, Then I just said Israel was, the northern kingdom was called Israel, but sometime the northern and the southern kingdom were called Israel. And so the northern kingdom at this time, that was also called Israel, they were being destroyed. But he says, let me speak specifically here in Isaiah to those pleasant plants. And that is the southern kingdom. That is Judah. And notice, this is key to what we're studying tonight. Look at the rest of verse 7. He looked for justice. That's the fruit he wanted to find. But behold, oppression. That was the wild grape that shouldn't have been there. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. God saying, you know, in my vineyard, I expected my people to go out and see people that were oppressed and they would deal so justly with them that they would stop being oppressed. And instead, I'm going out into my vineyard And I'm seeing it's my people that are causing the oppressed to cry out and wail for help. He's saying, I don't see justice. I don't see righteousness. Because of Israel, I'm seeing further oppression. And God, you better believe, hears the cries of those who are being oppressed. And so it's in that setting that he says, whoa. Six times in this passage he says, whoa. I want to tell you what you need to stop doing. Because this is bad fruit. This is wild grapes. You weren't saved. You weren't a part of the holy so that you could act like this. And so tonight, let's look at, at what some of these are. And obviously, if we're going over six of them, we don't have time to dwell on either one of them uh, very long, but we can get a good snapshot of the struggles and see that really mankind, we still struggle with a lot of these same things today where, where that woe could be uh, applicable perhaps to us today. Look at Isaiah, the fifth chapter and verse eight, the first woe. Woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, the Lord of hosts says, now this is the curse that's going to come to them because of verse 8. Truly many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones without inhabitants. First, ten acres of vineyards shall yield one bath, that's nine gallons, and a homer of seed, that's eleven bushels, shall yield one ephah, or one bushel. Now let's go back to eight and see what the problem is. Is God against people being shrewd business men and women? Is God against someone investing so that they can make more? Is God against someone that owns one field and makes a wise investment to say, I'm going to buy another field? We know the virtuous woman in Proverbs, the 31st chapter, she was praised because she took the work of her hand and went out and purchased a field and planted a vineyard in it. God's not against anybody that tries to go out and make an honest living that better society. What God is against is what was pointed out here in 8, whenever it's greed that says, I want the next field and the next field and the next field. And this is the key to understanding the setting here. Notice again the last half of 8. Till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. He's talking about the oppressed there. Whenever our greed moves to the point that we intentionally take advantage of the poor God says, whoa, that just should not happen. Now, this very same time period, we can look at this very same problem being addressed in Micah, the second chapter. If you want to turn there, we'll have it on the screen. I'd like for you to see just this verse 1 or 2 here in Micah, the second chapter. Notice he says, this is along the same time period, the same problem. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it. Because it is in the power of their hand, they covet fields and take them by violence, also houses, and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. That's the greed that God is warning against. That's the profiting that God is warning against, saying that absolutely cannot be the fruit that the holy people are to produce, where they literally want something so badly that through violence they'll obtain it. Why? Because they're more powerful. It's literally that deal. I'm going to take it because I can. God is opposed, obviously, to that kind of greed. Friends, this evening, I want to ask you, when you want something, when you want another car, when you want another house, when you want another investment, What's the driving force? That's what we need to stop and ask ourselves. Why is it that I believe that I should have increase? How do I plan to use that increase to better the kingdom of heaven? And also I need to make sure that I never would accept increase through a way that would manipulate or harm another person. Oppression is something God is opposed to. Completely. As a matter of fact, out of all the things he could have listed about this society, the first place he starts here in this list is woe. Woe to that kind of greed. Why? He says, I'm going to send a curse. And you know those big houses that you live in? He says, you're going to find that you're not at home any longer in those houses. Why? Because you've either been killed in the seas of Jerusalem or you're that small remnant that's been taken back to Babylon in your nice big house. You're not living in it anymore. And he says, you want another field to put another vineyard? What about this? Imagine a 10-acre vineyard. And he says, I don't know how many of you have ever picked grapes, blackberries. Maybe you picked strawberries. Imagine a 10-acre vineyard. And if you don't know, that's a big vineyard. As a matter of fact, you usually measure the poundage of a harvest in the tons per acre with grapes. Tons per acre. And you know what he says? He says, you want another field? Go ahead. You get your other fields. And when it comes harvest time, plan on nine gallon for a 10 acre vineyard. Unbelievable. Plan on putting 11 bushel of seeds out there and harvesting one bushel of crop. How long are you going to stay in business doing that? Friends, I need to ask myself a spiritual question. How long am I going to stay in business with God oppressing my fellow mankind? I'm not. I will lose my place in that holy kingdom with the holy God if I start acting out in such an unholy fashion. Now, a second woe. And we'll spend a little more time on the first two and then we want to really speed up. But notice this second one. Look at verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drinks. So the second one is about a woe of, of heavy drinking. And so he he continues here. Who continue until night till wine inflames them. And then what goes right along with drinking? See, it hasn't changed in, in this day and time. If, if you watch one of the entertainment uh, uh, shows today, or, or you talk with, with individuals out in the world and, and they enjoy their time of uh, Friday night, let's go out drinking. I've been thinking about that all week. I, I woke up Friday morning, can't wait to get a buzz tonight. What's gonna go along with it? What's gone along with it for, for ages? You gotta have some music in there. And so, so he throws the music in, verse 12. The harp and the strings and the tambourine and the flute and wine are in their feast. It's in their parties. Now pause there for a moment. You remember a New Testament party like that? Remember when Herod had a big birthday party, had a lot of alcohol for all the men? Remember they had the music going? And then with those feasts, naturally with drunken men, comes the next stage. We need some women. And remember when she, she his stepdaughter danced? For him, in that intoxicated state, he offered her half of the kingdom. And because of the influence of her mother, she didn't want the kingdom. She wanted the head of John the Baptist served on a platter like a course of meat. Friends, we're not talking about something that was just limited to the Old Testament times or, or it only took place in the first century. We're talking about something that's been a problem with the mankind all throughout the ages, and that is when individuals decide to live their life after the hunger of substance that alters their mind and alters their behavior. If you're a foreigner, and when I say foreigner, I, don't, I mean uh, other than the human race. If you are a Martian coming in, and by the way, little kids, I don't think there's Martians, but I'm just trying to give you another perspective here. If, if, you, were, if you were looking at the human race from another perspective, you would look at the influence of alcohol or drug, and, and you would say, that's terrible. When one person sees what it does to another person, they'll never want anything to do with that. Isn't it strange that we're not like that? We'll see it destroy one person's life as another person says, Give me another drink. Let me have another pound of that, another ounce of that, another bag of that, another pill. And the latest craze of all ages give me another prescription. Let me have another doctor so I can get another prescription filled. What's the danger? Friends, it's not just the fact that we are allowing a substance to alter our mind and our behavior, but there's also another aspect to this that perhaps we sometimes don't consider, but God definitely mentions it through Isaiah here. Notice what happens next. I'd like for you to look at the end of verse 12. We're still just picking up there. Notice what else happens at this stage. But they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of his hand. Does that sound strange to you? He's going to write some very strong verses condemning strong drink for intoxication, and instead of just dwelling on that, Isaiah says, let me tell you a problem with that. When people start allowing substances to drive their life, what they lose sight of is they lose sight of the operation of God. Who were these people? These people, was they were my people, God would say. They were the holy nation of Israel. In other words, God had a plan for His people. It was going to be His people through that lineage that would bring Jesus Christ to this earth. And this is where this study is going next Sunday morning. It was the holy seed that was going to come through these people. God had a plan. And you know what Isaiah says? He says, when you run around chasing alcohol, you forget your place in God's plan. You even forget God's work. You have become ignorant of the fact that God is still alive. God's work is still continuing. He still has a vineyard. And that vineyard is supposed to put out good fruit. But you know what? You're putting out wild grapes right now. You know why? You've lost sight of God. Why'd you lose sight of God? Because you're keeping your mind and your heart on alcohol. What is it that is a challenge to you? that pulls your attention away from your place in God's kingdom? God still has a story. God still has a work. And the question is, are we going to fit into God's work? Not, how can I fit God into my life? If if that's the way you've lived, I want to challenge you for 2011 to never ask that question once. Never ask how you're going to fit God into your life. From today forward, say, I want to find out how I fit into God's plan. God has a beautiful kingdom. I want to be one of the vines attached to that branch. I want to produce the fruit that He has designed for me. How do I, the way He has created me, the opportunities that He's given me, the abilities that He's given me, how do I fit into God's plan? He has a work. He has an operation. And I want to be in compliance to His will, to His plan. And friends, drugs and alcohol... Not only are they going to take us into a lot of mistakes in life. The biggest mistake of all is they're going to take us out of the work of the Lord. Whoa. Do not live a life of greed. Whoa. Do not live a life of heavy drinking. Whoa. Do not be enslaved to sin. Notice that third one. And on this third one, let's drop down a little bit deeper in our Bible. Let's go to the 18th verse. Notice as he says, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity. He's given a word picture here. They're drawing iniquity. And as you think about this, think about like a, a horse-drawn carriage, except this time this carriage is being pulled by a person. And, and, and instead of it being your typical carriage, there's a rope. And, and this person is pulling something along in life. And you say, okay, what, what is attached to this rope? What is this person pulling through life? They're pulling a whole bag of iniquity. They've got a whole bag. You say, wow, that's a lot of hard work. You know, those chain and ball that you envision in your mind? Wow, that's, that's hard to walk around. That's what he's saying. He says, there's this rope. And, and this person, every day, they're just tiring themselves out. What are you dragging? Oh, I'm dragging a lot of sin around. Why are you doing that? I love my sin. I don't want to lay it down. And he's saying, whoa, you can't produce the fruit you ought to be producing if you're going to drag around a rope tied to a bag of sin. Now, now let's finish this. Notice what he says. He says, it's cords of vanity. And he says, and sin as with a cart rope. And then he says, they say, and and by the way, if if I understand this passage right here, he shows how they make a mockery of God as they're doing this. They say... Let him, talking about God, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come. Can you imagine that kind of mockery? I'm going to pull my sin along. Oh, you say God has a work. Let God show it. Make haste, God. Show me what you've got, God. I'm just going to keep pulling my rope. Friends, you know, I know, we're not ever going to mock God and be where we need to be in life. But we also need to realize He uses terms of labor here. Any of us that, that on TV or, or whatever it might be, you see an animal harnessed. You expect to see that animal tired after a while. You see a, you see a horse, no matter how strong he is, harnessed to a carriage or to a wagon. At the end of the day... You expect his neck to be lathered up. You expect to see his nostrils flaring. You expect to see his stomach inhaling that that air. Why? It's labor. And so he uses that kind of analogy to say look what sin does to you. It's labor. You're pulling that rope. You're pulling that rope. How many times have we reached that time where we're up to here? where sin is wearing us out. And we come to church on Sunday night, and we know that we have a heart that loves God, but we also know that we have a hand on a rope that has a huge load tied on the end. And friends, we have to decide. We have to decide. Are we going to lay that rope down? God gives us the way to lay it down. God gives us the opportunity to start afresh. God gives us the opportunity. His Son, the Holy One of Israel, says, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Lay down the cart rope. Woe to the man or the woman that will not lay the rope down that's attached to sin. But then we go to 20, and we see that we lose discernment. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put the darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Friends, when we begin to leave God, our heart leaves God. And if we're with God, we have to understand this now because there'll come a time where we won't understand it unless we remember God and His teachings. And it's this. When we begin to lose, leave God, we literally lose understanding. Now maybe right now you say, I tell you what, I would never reach a point in my life where I did not know the difference in good and evil. And friends, you're lying to yourself. If you leave God, I assure you of the fact you'll reach a point where your vision is distorted on trying to figure out exactly what is good and what is evil. And that's because it's not within man to direct his steps. Jeremiah 10 and 23. And and when man does, that is a path that leads to destruction, the proverb writer says. Why? When we live on our own. Now think about it. Holiness is here with the Holy One. He gives us understanding. He gives us discernment. When we leave Him... Don't trick yourself. You will eventually lose discernment. Let's look at the fifth one as we consider self-deceived. And this goes right along with the former one, the very next verse. Look at 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And then look at the sixth one. Pervert justice. And by the way, notice how with the sixth one, he's going to come right back around to where he started. Remember where we started tonight in verse 7 and 8? Remember where he talked to them about the fruit that he was looking for was that of justice, but instead he saw oppression. He was looking for righteousness. Instead, he heard wails and crying of people who had not been treated in a righteous way. Notice this in in 8 here, in verse 22, Woe to men, mighty at drinking wine, Woe to men, valent for mixing intoxicating drink. And you say, well, that's just like the other one. Well, that's not the point he's making here. He's using that as a lead-in to the next one. Look at 23. These kind of people that allow alcohol to drive their life, look in 23, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. And so now we're back around to who is it that ought to be helping others? It warms my heart, and the truth is, it amazes me, the generosity of this congregation. You know, this year, as a congregation, you have given over $1.5 million. And that doesn't come close to counting what you have given to individuals that you know and love, where you've handed them checks, where you have sent money their way, And then, no telling how many thousands of dollars have been given to the angel trees and to the Operation Christmas Turkey and so many others. And friends, I don't say that to brag on us. I say that to say, God is good. God has given to us richly and there's nobody here that would be generous on their own without the knowledge that God gives to us so that we can help those who are hurting. And see, he paints a picture here of just the opposite. He, God is speaking to his people under the old covenant. He's speaking to Israel, and he's saying, you are supposed to be the people that when someone is hurting, your mind says, how can we help them? And instead, your mind is saying how can I bribe a neighbor to lie about them so I can take advantage of them and back around to number one, we just might be able to steal their house from them. And you say, that's terrible. It is terrible. But what about the opposite of that? What about the righteousness of that? What about if every one of us goes to our holiday get-togethers this week? What about if every one of us looks for that family member in our family? You know who I'm talking about. That family member that It's difficult to be around. That family member that when dessert is eaten, everybody else tries to scatter to the other room. That family member that has had a real, real difficult year. What about if we, not as their family member, but what about if we as the holy children of God Make an extra effort to help their oppression, to serve them in their emotional distress, to lift them up so that social justice and righteousness prevail. That's been the call of God's people since He called His people. Is the hurting aren't taken advantage of, the hurting are served. They're lifted up. And woe to individuals who move through life in a greedy fashion. Woe to individuals who move through life allowing substances to drive their life. Woe to individuals who are linked to sin and they just keep pulling at it day after day. Woe to individuals who lose the ability to discern between right and wrong and they call bittersweet. Woe to individuals who are individuals who can no longer reach out and help the hurting and act in just fashion. But instead they pervert it. Let's close by reading twenty-four. Therefore, you know what the word therefore? It ties what has just been said, so he's given all of those woes. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble, and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossoms will ascend like dust. You see, he's painting this picture of destruction. You want a vineyard like that? You want to be a plant like that? Just know that down to the root, you're going to rot. Why? Why? Notice these two reasons. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. There is a Holy One. He is holy and He invites us. He calls us to be holy. And I can love His word of holiness or I can despise it. I can listen to that law that creates a boundary of righteousness or I can reject it. But friends, if I reject it, if I despise it, the Lord says I'm like a a plant that's rotten to its core and produces bad fruit. There's not any of us here that's got it all together, but we know where to go to be what we need to be. It's by God's grace, it's by God's love that He gives us the opportunity to be a part of the holy. It almost gives you cold chills to say it and to think it. We can be a part of the holy. This evening. If you and your sin has separated from God, why not lay that rope down? Why not come back to Him? If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, if you're ready to be restored, God's concern is not what is everything that's in that bag that you've been dragging. God's concern is real simple. Will you lay it down? And will you come to me? If you need to make that decision, we pray that you will. And we'd love to encourage you in any way that we can as we come and as we sing.